Pastor Matt Crystal in New Mexico. So I'm here. Thank you. I feel like I kind of guilted that out of you this morning, but I'll take it anyway. Let's get right into it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 8 says this. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity or compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work." We talk about tithing this morning. Tithing is a spiritual discipline. It's biblical, so we should talk about it. You know, one of the benefits of preaching straight through a, a book of the Bible, which we've been doing on Sundays and Wednesdays. If you're not coming to Wednesdays, you should come out. It's really good on Wednesdays. Um, is that the benefit of preaching straight through a book is you can't skip anything. Whatever comes up, you got to talk about it. So. Um, so I think sometimes it's tempting in a ministry to just talk about the things that people want to hear or, or just kind of jump around with whatever the, the mood of the day is. You, like a holiday here, we may be talking, it may be Father's Day, but we're talking about something that's nothing to do with fathers. It's just, that's how it works when it rolls through like that. The downside is you can't talk about stuff that you need to talk about because it's not coming up. So we could go through all of 1 Samuel and all of 2 Samuel and spend three or four years in it and uh, never talk about tithing because it doesn't come up in, the, in, the old, in that portion of Scripture. So sometimes you've got to take a break and you've got to talk about stuff so people know about it. Um, so the biggest, I think the, I was looking on uh, Google because Google knows a lot of things. And one of the top complaints, depending on which page you read, of the church is that the church just wants my money. That's one of the biggest complaints that you'll hear people say. Um, but the church doesn't want your money. Just because we're talking about money doesn't make it a prosperity church. Okay? Anytime uh, the, 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 the pastors don't like to talk about tithing because they don't want to fall into that stereotype or that perception that we're, we want your money. Don't want your money. We're doing just fine without your money. Um, and no, no one's asking you to uh, pay for our Learjet or a million-dollar home or anything like that. If somebody's asking you to do that, then they are prosperity gospel. Don't give them your money. God doesn't want the pastor to have a Learjet. Amen. Amen. We can all agree on that, right? Is it just me? I, I, don't, I mean, my commute is long, but I don't need a jet. But before you check out and think this is just another self-serving, the church wants my money type sermon, I should let you know, this is my idea to preach on tithing, not Pastor Matt's. We probably, I mean, we've been here 16 years. We probably, this may be only like the fifth time we've talked about tithing directly. I think most of the time it's right, Russ. It's mostly it's me doing it, right? Because Shelly and I don't get paid by the church. So you can't say it's self-serving for me to talk about tithing because we don't get paid by the church. So I'll talk about it if I want to talk about it. Plus, we tithe. We tithe. We understand the benefits of tithing. I've seen the fruit of tithing in my life. So I feel like I can speak about it. And uh, I feel like it's a good thing. Faith and Victory Church doesn't need your money. God is our provider, and we know that. 
The church finances are just fine. Uh, the benefits of tithing is more about the benefits in your life than anything else. Do you think we'd stand up here every week and tell you four reasons not to give into the tithes and offerings if we were worried about your money? <laughs> we're not. So settle in. It's going to be good. Plus, we already took up the offering. We're not going to take up a second offering. There's no like, let me twist your arm, tell you about tithing, and then bring the basket back out. Let's go. No, we don't do that. I don't think we've ever in the history of Faith and Victory Church ever taken up a second uh, tithe in a service. So everybody okay with that? Are we on the right page? <laughs> we ready to talk about this now and not be all weird about it? All right. Uh, let's talk about tithing. Let's talk about in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and for today. So first, let's talk about tithing in the Old Testament. Let's look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. It says this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there be, may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up uh, for you a window um, of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now this is the prophet Malachi. He's writing to confront a once great nation. These are God's people, the people of Israel. Um, but they've been struggling with their identity as children of God for the last several generations. So as you can see, the um, kind of the course of the Old Testament is God will do something amazing for his people, uh, like, I don't know, make the Red Sea part so they can walk through and be saved from slavery in Egypt. And everybody's excited, and then everybody kind of drifts away and starts feeling like, God, what have you done for me lately? And I think I'm going to do stuff for myself. And then they fall into judgment. And then God does a miraculous thing and calls them back to him. And then they're all excited again. So we're at the point in the story uh, of this part in Malachi where they are drifting downward and forgetting what they're even doing and why they're doing it. So they have the laws of Moses. They know what they should be doing. Uh, that's that's their, their life but they're drifting away from the purposes of the things they should be doing and why they would be doing them. The people are neglecting God's requirements and just doing the bare minimum, just trying to meet the minimum requirement just so you can check the box. The priests and the leaders have become lazy in their duties and they don't hold people accountable to what God's word says. Everyone's just going through the religious motions. Imagine if we were living in a culture today that was just kind of going through the religious motions, just kind of checking the box, we're doing it, we had church on Sunday, we had temple or whatever. If we were in a culture like that, that'd be pretty tough. Maybe we need somebody to come to us and remind us of the, of the great God that we serve. Yeah. Now, the culture in, in this day is not giving God their best. They're giving God their rest. God wants to bless his people. It's clear in scripture that God wants to bless his people. If you will be blessable. That's what the scripture is saying. How is he supposed to bless his people if you're just going down on your own little road, going down your own, uh, I'll do what I want kind of life? Do you think he's going to bless you? Then you'd look and say, I must be doing something right because he's blessing me. But that's not what he's calling you to do. That's not what he's looking for here. God wants to bless you. I could tell you that God wants to bless you. We see in this verse that he says, test me in this, uh, that I will bless you with more that you have room to receive it. And I could come up here and tell you stories of how I've been blessed from a lifestyle of tithing. I don't want to distract you from what we're talking about. I don't want you to walk away from here and say, hey, I heard this story. If I do this, then God has to do this. There's no arm twisting with God. There's no, you can't catch him in some kind of mathematical, the Bible says if I do this act, you will do that act. That's not how it works. I don't want it to be like that this morning. But God does want to bless you, but you have to be blessable. Let's look what tithing looks like in the Old Testament. Tithing literally means one-tenth. 
and it's always used in context of an offering unto the Lord of some kind. So the law of Moses or the Mosaic law required it. We see in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 30, it says one-tenth belongs to the Lord and is holy. Now, the tithe was created and established and used to support the ministry and honor God. We see in Numbers chapter 18, verse 26, it says, Speak thus to the Levites and say to them, When you take from the children of Israel the tithe, which I have given to you from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering uh, of it to the Lord, a tenth of the tenth. So when you have all the tribes of Israel, um, all of them got a portion of land. When they came into the promised land, they all got a portion of land as their inheritance to to raise their families, to to, uh, produce crops and, and live off the land. That was their inheritance. But the Levites the tribe of Levi, their inheritance was to be the people who uh, did the ministry. They did the work of God. They were the priests of God. They, they ran the temple. They did that. That's their inheritance. So the tithe was set up that the people who are producing things can give that into the temple to support the people who are dedicated their lives to serving the Lord. And so that's why the tithe was set up with the Levites. But what's interesting here to me too is that the Levites even tithed off the tithe. So they weren't just sitting there bringing it in. Their first fruits of their increase was the tithe coming in and they tithed off the tithe. So this is a principle that's been set down and and created for all people. Not just you, but everybody. So that's I think is an important point to notice as well. So now typically, a tithe was of produce and livestock. It was given once a year. And so there would be food in the temple for the servants of the Lord and enough to sustain the ministry until the next year. Why? Because we're in an agricultural type, farmers and ranchers type culture. You see the first fruits of your labor once a year. How could, the, how could God's law possibly say, hey, you need to bring a baby lamb in as, a, as an offering, uh, as a tithe to the Lord when they're only born once a year? What are you supposed to do with that, right? So this is an agricultural culture. That's why they bring it in once a year, and that's where the fruits of their labor comes out. Uh, These kind of offerings were more valuable than money because food would sustain them uh, for the present, and the best of the young livestock would sustain them into the future. So not just one-tenth of the total, but also the first fruits implying their best, their top 10%. That's how it's set up. Now, Malachi is preaching to a people who have forgotten the purpose of what they are doing for God. They've rationalized giving less than their best, but still want credit for doing the right thing. That's where they're at. They're in there giving one-eyed sheep and bitter fruit. Why? Because they can't sell it. Nobody wants a one-eyed sheep. So they're like, well... I'm going to give this to the temple. The temple's just going to kill it and eat it. So what's the difference? Why would I give them the best one when I can go sell the best one and just give them? I'm still giving to the temple. We have a very uh, materialistic society. It's really, if you've been international at all, you'll see that life is lived very differently uh, when you're out of that first world type, we're all about the money and material possessions kind of existence. It's really different. They, they're not clamoring for the best shoes. They're not, they, no one cares what kind of car you drive in Cambodia. Do you, here's an interesting note. They can't even get new cars in Cambodia. 
All they get is uh, freighters full of used cars. You can't even buy a new car. They do not care about material possessions. Okay? They care about food and shelter. But here in our country, we care a lot about material possessions. And the interesting thing to me is the more we have, the more we seem to care about it and the more tightly we hold on to it. So, so we have a bunch of junk. Um, we have a bunch, well, junk, that's mean. We have a bunch of things. And we need more things. So to get more things, we have to get rid of our old things. So we have a garage sale to sell all our old things. And then we spend all day, um, you know, bargaining back and forth with people whether you're going to pay a dollar for this or 50 cents for that. Then they walk away and they come back, you sure you can't give me tw- for 25 cents? It's like a dollar, 50 cents all day long. And then whatever nobody wants to buy, we stack on the curb and we put a sign on that says for free. So you don't want it. Nobody wants to pay money for it. So you're trying to give it away for free. Now, when that doesn't work, you take all that stuff that nobody in the entire world found value in and you take it down to the Goodwill and donate it. Why? Because it's good to give to charity. It makes you feel good inside. Why? Why does Goodwill want something that nobody apparently finds any value in? I'm telling you this morning, I'm not being mean, but I'm telling you, we do not want your old crock pot here at Faith and Victory Church. Do not bring it in. Do not walk in with the old crock pot and set it on the counter on the AMC and say, I think somebody could use this thing today. I went to Walmart a couple months ago to buy a a coffee pot. I like having one of those little ones like you'd find in a hotel because I'm the only one who drinks coffee in the house. So I have one at home. I wanted one in my office too, you know, just make it more homey since I spend, you know, two-thirds of my life there. So (laughs) I bought this little coffee pot for $10 at Walmart. Ten dollars. I couldn't believe it. I had to look in the box to see if they were selling an empty box for ten dollars or if there was a coffee pot inside. There was a coffee pot in there. What I don't understand is how on earth you could gather the materials together, form them into something, ship them from China, and make any money selling it for ten dollars. Blows my mind the, what, we, what we have here in this country. But we're looking at like giving things away that we don't even need and want. And people want to bring that offering to the church and say, you can have my own crockpot. It's perfectly good. It's a perfectly good crockpot that works. Then why don't you keep your perfectly good crockpot that works? You keep it. If it works that good. Oh, but you need a new one? Listen, if you think the church needs a crockpot, then why don't you go to Walmart and spend $40 and buy them a crockpot? You keep your old one that works and give them the new one. If we need it, do not buy us a crock pot. We do not need it. The point I'm trying to make is, is in our mindset as a culture, our mindset is to give away things that we don't need and think that somehow that's giving an offering to somebody to bless them. It's not. That's where we're at mentally, and that's where we need to get, get past. We give God our leftovers a lot of times, our one-eyed sheep, and we expect to be blessed for it. Giving God your leftovers is not meeting the intent of his commands. You may be giving God your leftovers if, brace yourselves, if you can show up for work on time, but you can't show up for church on time. Is that harsh? If you can afford your daily Starbucks, but you can't afford to tithe. If you can keep, 10 season, if you can keep up on 10 seasons of your favorite TV show, but you don't have time to serve others. 
It's a heart condition thing. In the Old Testament, tithing was a requirement by the law of Moses, but clearly, simply performing the act wasn't pleasing to God. It was a heart condition was the key to pleasing God and being obedient. It's, you gotta read your Bibles. You just have to read your Bibles. Uh, um, I'm gonna talk about Iris just really quick. Somebody tried to put Iris on blast on Facebook by a meme of a picture of a reader board at church that says something that's clearly unbiblical. Didn't they try to blast you with that? Or do you even remember? I remember, because I was offended. And I spent five minutes trying to think of something clever to say, and I thought, no, that's not godly. I'm not going to do it. But my point is, my point is in, in that is that Iris builds her faith on the word of God. Amen. You can't build your faith, faith on memes or church reader boards. You can't do it. So when you look at, when you look at that, we, we typically seem to apply that, um, that the God of the Old Testament is a vengeful and judging God, and the God of the New Testament is a loving and graceful God. But the reality is, they're all the same God. And when you read your Old Testament, you'll see that the God of the Old Testament is loving and merciful and graceful and does everything he can to give people a chance to become, follow his commandments and avoid judgment, even the Gentiles. And we don't, we typically talk about God only doing things for the the Jews in the Old Testament and then opening it up to the Gentiles in the New Testament. But look at Nineveh. God said, I'm going to destroy you. Nineveh repented and God showed them mercy and saved them. Every one of them, all Gentiles. Get back on track here. But I just want you to understand that this isn't some kind of new thing. The God of the, the Bible is the God of the Bible. And we see God here saying to them, it's heart condition. It's all heart condition. God says to them, try me now in this and I will pour out a blessing. And if you, tr-, he's basically saying, if you trust me for your provision and not in your stuff, then I can bless you and you will know that the blessing comes from him. Amen. Not from the work of your own hands, but from a holy God. Now let's look at tithing in the New Testament. Tithing was required by the old covenant law, but we are not under the law. We are under grace. Can I get an Amen. You guys seems like you're bracing for something there. Are we under grace or are we not under grace? Has Jesus Christ paid it all on the cross or has he not? He has, right? You guys feel, <laughs> you responded like it was a trick question. <laughs> Jesus gave us the new covenant and a covenant by his grace. But as we see in the Bible, the standard did not go down. The standard was raised. Let's look in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 17. What we see right here in Matthew chapter 5 is Jesus is just beginning his public ministry. And this is pretty much the first time he's kind of sitting down in front of the crowds and they're hearing him speak. He's talking to his disciples. The crowd is all listening. Everybody's in on it. And he's about to talk about something that every single one of them is familiar with. They all know the law. They all know who God is. They all know what the prophets said. That's been their whole existence up to this point. Now Jesus comes and he's about to kind of change it up on them a little bit and fulfill and round out what they, were, what they already know. So Jesus is saying this. He says, in, uh, starting in verse 17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law until all is fulfilled or its purpose is achieved. 
Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. First, I just want to point out, I didn't point this out in the other services, but he says, who breaks these laws will be least in the kingdom of heaven. So following the law is not a salvation issue or he would say, will not be in heaven. Right? So uh, what I want you to understand today is we're not talking about tithing being a salvation issue. We're talking about tithing being an obedience issue. Okay? All right. There's 613 commandments of the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. She has 611, and then the first two of the um, Ten Commandments, 613. Quite a few. So let me say, that's a lot of laws. And so to follow all of those laws in order to be holy, it, I think that what's kind of funny about it is that if, I mean, that's a lot of laws to remember. If you could become holy by following a lot of laws, then we wouldn't need anything else, right? But no matter how many laws they created, it wasn't enough to make anybody righteous, was it? But there's all these laws of Moses that it says, none of which will pass away until its purpose is achieved. So let's take a look at it and kind of see where we're going here with this. Let's look at the animal sacrificial system, right? There's a whole system in the Old Testament of animals um, would need to be sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins. The system has been set up from the beginning uh, of the system that uh, blood needed to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. So the, the system before Jesus came was that you would take an animal, a pure and, uh, blame, a pure and unblemished lamb, the lamb of God, right? lamb and you'd bring it to the temple and it would be sacrificed and its blood would be spread on the altar and that would be the payment in blood for your sins and then of course you would sin some more the next year and you'd have to go through the whole situation again thousands and thousands of years they did this well jesus christ the sinless lamb the lamb of god was that final sacrifice when his blood was shed on the cross his blood was spread on the on the mercy seat on the altar in heaven and he became the final sacrifice once and for all, for all of your sins, for all time. Nothing you can do about that. It's done, it's complete, it's sealed with his blood. I'm excited about that. You guys seem a little stunned by it. Paul's excited about it. I'm excited about it. So, we don't need to sacrifice animals. Please, don't bring any sheep or goats here either. Really, we have no place to keep it. Just like hold on to that, it's okay. But we don't follow that system anymore because it has been fulfilled. The purpose has been achieved through Jesus Christ. He already fulfilled that like he said he would. But let's look at the Mosaic laws forbidding murder, adultery, lying, stealing, all that kind of stuff. That has not been fulfilled. We still have people murdering each other and committing adultery and lying and stealing. It hasn't been fulfilled yet. Those laws are all still in effect until heaven comes to earth, Jesus comes back, till sin is gotten rid of and sin is no more. Those things still exist. So it, it, by saying Jesus has fulfilled all the law, we, I'm not saying like you can go start murdering people again because when Jesus came, he fulfilled it. That's still, to the, it will not pass away until its purpose is achieved, right? So what was the purpose of the command to, to tithe? I just went over this. You guys look in your notes. 
to provide, I'm just kidding, to provide for the priests and, and the temple. That was what the command to tithe was for, to, to provide for the priests and of the temple. And so has that purpose been achieved or do we still have pastors and churches that are called to be dedicated servants to God for all of us? Amen. Then the heart of tithing should continue, should it not? Yeah. Let's look at the next verse, chapter, in verse 20, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scripts, this is all, he's saying this all at one time. And so I'm breaking it down. So he just talked about uh, um, till all is fulfilled. And he says in, in verse 20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now the Pharisees are seen as righteous because they are strictly obedient to the law. Their whole philosophy of honoring God and religion was that if they can, if, if we as people, if they can follow all of the laws of Moses strictly 100%, there would be no sin. And when sin is gone, then heaven can come back to earth. God will come back. Everything will be great like the end of time. So they're trying to strictly follow the law. That's their thing. That's their passion. That's what they're about. So they seem righteous on the, on the outside, but Jesus is saying that unless your righteousness exceeds that. So unless your righteousness exceeds just looking righteous on the outside and knowing and following the rules, you by no means will enter the kingdom of heaven. So it takes more than just rule following. It takes more than just appearing righteous. It takes more than just settling for the minimum. You understand that the requirements is the minimum, right? When the speed limit says 55, that's the minimum speed you should be going on the freeway. If you're going slower than that on the freeway, you're in trouble. But see what I'm saying there? Is that the law required, the required law is just the minimum standard. So they're meeting the minimum standard by following the, the letter of the law. But what Jesus is saying is like, you gotta do better than just following the law. You gotta have a heart condition. You gotta have a relationship. The God of the Old Testament wanted a relationship with you too. It's not just a New Testament thing. He wanted a relationship from them more than he wanted sacrifices. Not just rule following. Jesus is asking more than what is required, more than the minimum. He wants a heart condition change. He wants you to act in faith and love and trust in his care and provision. Matthew chapter five, verse 21 and 22. He continues. You have heard it said that to those, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murder, murders is in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. He just took it up a notch. Yeah. Clearly, murderers are in danger of judgment. Clearly. But Jesus just raised the standard from simply controlling your actions to checking your heart condition. The new standard is, is if you have thoughts in your heart of malice and like wanting somebody dead, those thoughts are sinful in themselves. If you have lustful thoughts for somebody who's not your wife, Jesus is saying, you've already committed adultery in your heart. He's saying you gotta do more than just following the letter of the law. If you're looking at porn on the internet, you're an adulterer. I, Jesus said it. I mean, he didn't say internet, but that was the intent of what he's saying. He said, you heard it was said. It's the law. They already knew that. But he's asking for a higher standard. The new standard is fulfilling the intent of the law, not just the letter of the law. 
Let's look in Luke chapter, 40, uh, uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 42. This is Jesus again. He says, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and, and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. The, the Pharisees are they're following the letter of the law so much, I can picture them like in their kitchen with like a sprig of mint, like dividing it into tents so they can bring, like this leaves are the greenest, I'm going to bring those to church. They're ignoring the much more important things of what God demands of them. That's the problem. That's the problem with the Pharisees. We villainize and demonize the Pharisees because uh, Jesus is like, oh, woe to your Pharisees. Why woe to the Pharisees? Because they're trying to just go through the motions and do the law and they're not seeking after the heart of God. That's the problem. He could be saying, woe to you if that's what you're doing. We can't just point fingers at other people. We have to see what's going on in our own lives too. Jesus says here, yes, keep tithing. That's great. But don't, con- don't neglect the loving God and loving people part. That's the more important part. Um, leadership is an interesting thing. Um, and so there are moments in your life, there's leadership in your life that create what kind of leader you want to be in the future or what kind of person you want to be. You see somebody do something that you don't like, you don't want to do that. You see something that you do like, you want to do that. So let me tell you about a time that somebody did something I don't like or I thought was bad. When, when I was pretty new in the fire department, I was, uh, uh, we worked with this guy who was a lieutenant. He was a leader. And he used to say, I'm only going to do 100% of the minimum. Yep, I'm going to give the department 100% of the minimum, which is just the base level of what's required of you. If the chief says, if the chief says, hey, we need this done today, like, I did it. He said, we need to wash the floors. Floors got washed. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure we need to do like all of it. It's like, no, he just said, I'm just going to do 100% of the minimum. So the downside with that is he kind of taught this 100% of the minimum lifestyle or work ethic to the people around him. Because you're doing what your leader does. And if your leader's talking about 100% of the minimum, or I've heard it called passive resistance, nobody told me I needed to pick up litter in the parking lot. If I had only known that if a piece of litter is in the parking lot, somebody should pick it up and throw it away, I would have done it, but no one's ever said that to me before. Come on, man. Like, is that just your minimum effort? Or do you think you could put a little more into it and say, hey, this is God's house. This is God's parking lot. There's a piece of litter. Have you ever said to yourself, somebody ought to do that? Yeah, that somebody is you. But you see what I'm saying here? We got to do, we can't be uh, 100% of the minimum Christians. We can't please the heart of God. We should be living our lives differently. We can't honor God by being 100% of the minimum Christians. We got to be doing better than that. So let's look at tithing for today. Romans chapter 3 verse 28 says this. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Following the law does not save you. Okay? Only the grace of God through Jesus Christ can save you. Grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. Don't misunderstand where we're going with this thing. The law's not going to save you. Okay? I want you to understand what tithing is today. Because I can't expect you to do something that you've never been taught. If we never talk about tithing, how are you ever going to do it or want to do it or know about it? 
We talk about being welcoming. You guys are super welcoming. We talk about forgiveness. You guys are forgiving. We talk about uh, praising the Lord and putting him first, and you guys do that. So if we're going to move any farther in our journey of sanctification, we have to kind of talk about all things. So we're going to talk about it today. When I first got hired with the fire department, I had no experience at all. Nothing. Um, I didn't know what the culture was like. I didn't know what the people were like. Why did they hire me? I'm not entirely sure. I think God came down and covered some eyes and covered some ears and said, I need him in the fire department so he can serve me 16 years later and I don't have to pay him. I think that's what happened. But anyways, as a joke, you can laugh at that. It's good. So anyways, I'm hired. I'm brand new. I have no idea what I'm doing. And so when you're in a new situation, you have no idea what you're doing. What do you do? You just do what everybody else is doing, right? I mean, that's what they're doing. That must be what we're supposed to be doing. So my very first crew I was stationed with just happened to be this very laid-back crew who didn't really like to follow the rules. They were a little further away from the headquarters, so they didn't... When you're right underneath the chief in the chief's office, you do everything you're supposed to do because he could catch you, right? But when you don't think the boss is watching, all of a sudden... Your, your limits sometimes get a little laid back. So they were super laid back and they would like, you'd show up in the morning for shift exchange and they would just be wearing like gym shorts and a t-shirt and, uh, and they would say things, oh, we're just gonna work out right after this. No, you're not, you never do. You're just being lazy and you don't wanna put on the proper uniform. But I didn't know that. So I would just do what they did. And so one morning, it was probably about three weeks in, one morning, uh, somebody who was coming on shift from a different shift, he pulled me out into the other room because good leadership is you correct in private and you praise in public. So he didn't blast me in public like on a Facebook post. He, he pulled me in the hallway. So he pulled me in the hallway and he goes, what are you doing? I said, Gary, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, oh, okay, I see. You don't, you don't, you don't know what we're doing here. He's like, okay, listen, you can't do what everybody else is doing. You have to do it better than that. I know they show up like that, but that's not what you should do. You need to wear your full uniform. If they get up at 7, you get up at 6.30. If they start doing uh, the chores at 10, you start doing them at 9. You need to be doing it better than everybody else around you. That's the expectation. I was so thankful that somebody took the time to pull me aside and let me know what the expectation is. So often we watch somebody who's going down the wrong path or behaving poorly, and our assumption is they know what they're doing, and they're just being a jerk. So like, I can't believe they did that. Why would they do that? Well, I don't know. Maybe you should ask them about it. Maybe you should say, do you understand that what you're doing is leading you down the wrong way? Isn't that what Pastor Matt does from the pulpit all the time? I was at uh, the next station uh, the, the next month, and a guy pulled me aside and he said, let me show you how, this is how we clean the bathrooms. And this is how we, he taught me how to fold the towels. Insulting? No! I want to know how to do those things. I've been folding them wrong for six weeks. Finally, somebody pulled me aside and said, look, if you fold them this way, look how nicely they fit into the cupboard. He could have just been like this guy, new people, always wanting to fold the towels, towels wrong. No, he took the time to teach me what I needed to know and how to do it. Otherwise, how was I, I going to know? So honestly, me as a leader now, I'm always pulling the new people aside. If they're doing anything wrong, I pull them aside and say, hey, what were you thinking? And they pause. They're nervous. They don't want to tell me. I'm like, seriously, if you tell me what you were thinking, we can fix it. 
and learn how to do it right. I need to know where you're coming from. That's what, that's what we need to do. So today, we're talking about tithing because we need to know how it works. And I can't just assume that however you're dealing with it now is because you're fully aware of what you're doing or not. So we're talking about it. So this is how we do tithing at Faith and Victory Church. We do it during worship because it's an act of worship. We are, thankful, uh, we are thankfully honoring God by giving back a portion of what he's already given us. God owns it all anyway. He owns it all anyway. So we do it during worship because it's an act of worship. And what's, so what's the first thing that we say? This is the participation part of the program. If you're a visitor. If you're a visitor today, don't give. Addressing this on their very first day, that the church is not a consumer industry that's looking for customers. We don't want their money. It goes a long way to putting new people at ease. In fact, the most common feedback that we've gotten as a church about what people's experiences when they came to church was that, the, the, the tithing thing that we say. Because they say, it, it was just great, I was worried about, the, not everybody says this, but there's been half a dozen, a dozen people over the years who've said this, is that the, the worry they had was that people would not be welcoming and that um, they would want my money. So they show up and you guys are very welcoming, are you not? Yes. And then we, the first thing they hear from us is, we don't want your money, keep your money, we don't need it. And then that, it goes a long way to putting people at ease when they visit the church. We want to invite you to become part of the family. That's it. Come back, be part of the family. That's good. The second thing, what's the second thing we say? That's right. If Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior, don't give either. Tithing is not a good luck ritual. There's no power in giving money to a God that you don't believe in. You can't, it doesn't make any sense to come in and not believe that, that God is the God of your life and then give him money. In Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse one, it says, walk prudently when you go to the house of the Lord and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. What that means is that somebody coming into the church that doesn't recognize that they're a sinner in need of a savior, that doesn't know that Jesus Christ can save them, it basically says, giving an offering of fools is like giving an offering without understanding why you're doing it. So it says, don't, don't come into the, the church and just give an offering that you don't even understand or why you're doing it. Give an ear and learn what's going on there. If you want to give today, give your life to Jesus. No better time, no better place. But don't give us your money. What's the third thing that we say? Yes, even if you are saved, if you aren't giving with a cheerful heart, don't give either. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity or compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for every good work. He's going to give you what you need if you trust him in your finances. This is a heart check moment. What is your attitude about giving? You should ask yourself why. When you leave here on any given Sunday or Wednesday, it should be this moment of reflection where you ask yourself, what am I going to do differently based on what the Bible just said? You should, be, you should be checking your heart on that. Why do I give? Why do I give what I give? Have I thought about it? How do I feel about that? What should I be doing? What does the Bible says? You should be asking yourself these questions. 
And just like in Malachi, God is able to make grace abound to you and bless your obedience. Just like he said to them, the Israelites in Malachi, and just like we hear in the New Testament now. What's the last thing we say in our little Thai speech? Reconciliation. So Matthew chapter 5 Verse 20, we say, as you bring your sacrifice to the altar, if you've offended somebody, go, go and be reconciled. Matthew chapter 5, 23 through 24 says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go on your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Jesus Christ came to reconcile, reconcile sinful man to a holy God. That's why he came. So how dare we neglect uh, reconciliation with our uh, brothers and sisters in Christ? We can't. We can't. That's why Jesus came, to reconcile us to God. And now we're going to turn around and try to give something. What, what, what value does your tithe have to God if you're not going to honor and respect and participate in the purpose why he came in the first place? But reconciliation is an interesting thing because there's two parts to it. There's there's seeking out someone you know you've offended and asking for forgiveness, their apology. And then there's also accepting the apology of someone who's offended you. So it works two ways. And so look at like the relationship of us and Christ. Christ came and made the final sacrifice so you could be forgiven, but you have to accept that forgiveness. So sometimes you may say like, oh, I forgive them in my heart, but maybe you haven't really. And then you show up and you're like, and you realize like every week there's a reminder that go ahead and give your tithe, but you can't sit around harboring unforgiveness in your heart and think that that's honoring to God. Well, for me, it reminds me, and there's been several times that at the end of a service, I, I'm at that point and I feel kind of convicted by that. And I say, dang it, I'm pretty sure that I, I offended somebody. And so then I'll leave service sometimes and go find them and be like, listen, I, I feel like I did this I feel like I offended you. I, you know, I kind of wronged you. So I, I want to apologize for that. I'm sorry. Half the time, they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't remember that. I wasn't offended by that. Sometimes they're like, thank you. Thank you for saying that, you know? Sometimes you don't know, but it's still your obligation to go figure it out, right? But also, on the other hand, we say, if you know that somebody's offended you and you need to forgive them, it is not above you to seek them out and say, let's talk this out. You've offended me. I want to forgive you. It's, it's a two-sided thing. Both parties have to participate in it. And we're reminded by that every week. Sometimes I come into church and I'm grumpy about giving. Well, I do it on online, online apps. So sometimes I'm sitting there doing the checkbook and I'm about to give my tithe on the online app. And they feel grumpy about it. Like, man, I got a kid in college. <laughs> and I'm over here giving 10%. But I'm reminded every week that I should be cheerfully and thankfully giving. That it's really God who's providing my needs, not my job. So what's the point in worrying about giving some of what my job gave me when God's really my provider? These are reminders every week. That's why we do it. To not forget the greater matters of the heart as we're doing the, the um, practice of tithing. So here's the quick nuts and bolts of modern day tithing. Two, two of the biggest things. One, it breaks our dependence on money and it puts our trust in God to give, uh, it puts our trust in God to give us provision. It breaks our dependence on money. And when God meets our needs, it strengthens our faith and trust in him and it produces spiritual growth. 
It's similar to how the spiritual discipline of fasting breaks the addictions of the pleasure of the flesh. So if you've done the Daniel fast or maybe you've done some fasting on your own, this is another spiritual discipline that the church typically doesn't talk a lot about. We've talked about here. But when you deny your flesh those things like food and maybe you're, you're eating things that your flesh isn't crying out for like vegetables, there may be one of you in here who thinks that vegetables cry out to you, but for everybody else around you, never has the potato ever said, Pastor Jay, I need you to eat me today. But some fried chicken... Fried chicken's got a microphone. They have tapped my house. They are watching my Facebook. So what I'm saying is that the spiritual discipline of fasting where you deny yourself all those things that your flesh cries out for, even coffee or cigarettes or, or special foods or whatever, and you decide, I'm going to fight that feeling and I'm going to do the spiritual discipline, it grows you in your faith and it draws you closer to God. In the same way, tithing, when you fully put your trust and faith in God to be your provider and not your job or, or whatever else, it grows your faith and draws you closer to God. The second thing is, it's quite practical. It pays for the operation of the church. It gives us, uh, our spiritual leaders, the ability to focus on God and our spiritual growth full time, kind of like the Levites. Something's got to pay the power bill. Something's got to, you know, pay for all this kind of stuff. There's somebody came in the church. This was back in the warehouse days. They came into the church and, and they were like, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with tithing. I don't think it's New Testament. I don't think people should tithe. I'm like, okay, that's good. So how are the lights going to get paid then? Well, we don't need a building. That's wrong. That's, you know, everybody's interpreting it wrong. We don't need a building. We could just go meet in the park. Like, okay, meet out in the park. Okay, so then, then what about the pastor? What's the pastor do? He can go get a job. He can get a job and he can do this. He can do both. We shouldn't be supporting him. He can go get a job. Why can't he work? Like, okay, that's good. So why are you in the church building then right now? Why did you go to church here today? Why aren't you out in the park going to park church? Do you serve? I don't serve. I got a full-time job. I don't have time to serve. Huh. Okay. So you can't serve because you got a full-time job, but now the pastor is going to be responsible for your spiritual health and well-being, and he got to go get a job now. All right. Come on, man. Come on, man. I know what it looks like when a pastor doesn't have time to study their Bible, fast, and pray. The church and the people become weak. Now, we give money because it's what we produce. I don't have a garden. I'm not growing vegetables. Do not bring your vegetables to church either. We do not need them. But we produce money, and that's what we give. We do it weekly, monthly, whenever you get paid, because that's when we see the first fruits of our labor. Not out of guilt, but with joy. The actual dollar amount is not relevant. We do pre-tax here at Faith and Victory. Pre-tax. Otherwise, you're giving out, giving out of what's left over and allowing others to take your first fruits. Like the government, like insurance premiums or credit card bills. Your first fruits before that, is it not? Otherwise, you're just giving out of what you have left over. Proverbs 3, 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Now, offerings. Offerings is something different. It's extra that's given to godly purposes. Your time and your service, maybe material gifts, giving to missions. If you're not giving to missions today, start giving to missions. You know why? Because that's your role in the Great Commission. Jesus said, go out into all the world and preach the gospel, didn't he? Are you going out into all the world? 
No, you're sitting here right now. But there's some missionary out there going out in the all the world. So what you can do is you can help support them financially. Amen. Right? Who else is going to do it? Are they supposed to get a job too? They're going to go get a job and be a missionary out there in some far off land? Come on now. You should be supporting missions. But that's not tithing. That's giving an offering. Charities, donations, all that stuff. It's excellent. You should be doing it. But it's not tithing. Now, no one is watching to see what you put in the basket. It's between you and God. So give what you have purpose in your heart to give, not out of guilt or compulsion. We had lots of people, like I said, we've been doing that tithing speech pretty much the whole time. And so uh, we've, we've had other ministries, not a lot, maybe five or six, who have told us over the years, you can't say that. It's going to ruin your giving. If you tell people not to give, they're not going to give. You, you need to change that. You can't do that. And maybe you've been to a church that has like a, a five-minute mini-sermon on giving every single Sunday to try to convince you that this is something you'd be doing. Well, um, we've been doing it for like 16 years, and people still give. You know why? Because you walked into this place today with a purpose in your heart of what you were going to give. And I could stand up here and tell you not to give, and you're going to give it anyway. Or you walked in today with a decision in your heart that you're not going to give. And me standing up here telling you not give is not going to keep you from not giving even more. So we say it. It's a good foundation. It's not stopping people from giving because we don't want you to give out of guilt and compulsion anyway. We want you to give what you've decided in your heart to give. Sometimes it starts as a small seed and grows as a person grows in faith. Just begin tithing and start trusting God that he will be faithful. This is the only time in the Bible where God says, test me in this. He says, test me in this, that, I, that see that I will not bless you if you put your provision and your trust in me. So I want to end today by saying this. Just kind of a quick recap. I want to say this. There's no arm twisting this morning. I just want you to know what the Bible says about tithing. Tithing is a spiritual discipline that is biblical, and if you are a Christian, you should be doing it. Tithing, just like everything that's important to God, is a heart condition, not legalism. It's about a heart condition. So I want you to pray and seek God, uh, pray and seek his wisdom on this, and ask Jesus how much you should be giving. Pray and seek God's wisdom on this. Don't walk out of here feeling like, gosh, I could probably, probably should mail them a check. No, that's not what I'm asking. That's not what anybody is asking. Pray and seek God on what God's asking you to give and how you should be doing it. God wants, your first, uh, God wants you to trust him fully and rely on him for all things. Amen? Amen? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Before we get out of here, if you're in this place, I want to give you the opportunity to give your life to Jesus this morning. We talked a lot about uh, different things, but as, as, as I hope you've heard through this sermon, that the foundation of all things is a life in Christ and the sacrifice he made for you and giving your life to him. So if you're, in here, if you're in here this morning and you have never given your life to Christ and you want to give your life to Christ and live a life for him and be forgiven of all your sins this morning, we want to pray with you. So if that's you this morning and you want to give your life to Christ this morning, would you just raise your hand? We want to pray with you and partner with you in that. We'll ask every week.